You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Flooding triggers major washouts on the south coast. One driver saved after her vehicle got sucked into the abyss. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Our coverage begins with breaking details of a rescue on the rain-swollen Capilano River. A kayaker swept away this afternoon by rushing water. Our Catherine Urquhart is at the scene right now where there are multiple agencies involved. Catherine, what have you learned? Well, Sophie, that's right. We are at the mouth of the Capilano River right now where this effort continues for the missing kayaker. He was spotted just a few hours ago in distress further up the river. Multiple agencies involved, a hovercraft, police, firefighters, along with North Shore Rescue. And they've been scouring the banks of the river looking for any sign of this missing person. Of course, with so much rainfall lately, the rivers are incredibly swollen and very dangerous. People being well advised to stay back and to be especially cautious if they have kids or pets in tow. We will keep you updated as we continue to follow this story again. A missing kayaker spotted in distress earlier this afternoon up the Capilano River. Search and rescue crews continuing to look for that person. Back to you. All right, thanks for that, Catherine Urquhart at the Capilano River for us. And we'll have much more on the flooding and dangerous driving conditions coming up. But first, another story that's affecting drivers today, and that is the financial disaster that is ICBC. The public auto insurer has posted nearly a billion-dollar loss in the first nine months of the year. Ted Chernecki has a look at the problem, who is to blame, and how it will affect drivers. You can add this morning's crash into a storefront on Broadway to the growing list of unsettled claims over at ICBC. There's more than a 50% chance that a lawyer will get involved if there's an injury claim. And if you're to believe the ICBC union, there's a good chance the auto body shop will overcharge to fix it. Those are just two of the many drivers behind ICBC's projected $1.3 billion loss this year. They knew the dumpster was on fire, but they pushed it behind the building instead of trying to put the fire out. That fire refers to the dramatically increasing number of crashes in B.C., 20,000 more cases every year between 2014 and 2016. Everyone knew that lawyers were involved in 51% of all injury claims and that legal fees were now accounting for 24% of ICBC's total annual costs. It's something ICBC's union says has been warning anyone who would listen. And it's understandable that customers then turn to lawyers to to, uh, help them through this process if they can get the kind of service that they should expect from ICBC. The Attorney General noted there's a growing backlog of claims that get more expensive the longer they drag on. That there was, quote, malice on the part of the previous government who had been warned to expect a much larger loss than the $11 million the Liberals were suggesting prior to the election. And the fact that government appears to have removed pages from a consultant's report that indicated these trends were in place, that they projected such a completely unbelievable and bizarre number for the loss at ICBC, uh, says to me that they knew exactly what was going on. In a statement, the Liberal ICBC critic John Yap claims his government did initiate a lot of changes, that David Eby has done nothing for seven months, and says the NDP made promises they could not deliver on, and so are looking to lay blame instead. Ted Chernacki, Global News. 
Drastic changes are being called for, so now that you're probably expecting your rates to soar, you might also be curious about what other options are on the table. John Hua has a look at the other possible solutions, including capping soft injury claims and fault versus no-fault insurance. There's little doubt ICBC is a financial wreck. They have to be smarter. But can a few repairs get it out of the red? Or is this system a complete write-off? I guess competition's always better. As far as solutions go, privatization seems to be the political boogeyman. And no-fault insurance, it's half-brother. We are not looking at no-fault insurance. Uh, I'm interested uh, as much as possible in protecting the rights of British Columbians to sue. But experts say EB's suggested cap on minor injuries doesn't come close to cutting it. There's some money to be saved there, but certainly not enough to close the gap between revenue and expenditures. Others saying no fault has to be an option, with the cost of the tort system and its ability to sue spiraling out of control. These claims take longer to settle. These claims are getting more expensive. Uh, small bodily injury claims went up. Uh, it's a fourfold increase, and, and we all are paying for this through a higher insurance premium. To look at a place that offers both, Saskatchewan has offered both no fault and tort since 2003. While premiums there are the same, differences with tort include lower defined benefits, but an ability to sue for pain and suffering. Still 99.6% of drivers in that province stuck with no-fault insurance. No-fault saves a lot of time and a lot of money for a lot of people. So would you forgo your ability to sue if it meant upfront savings on your premium? You need a lawyer with ICBC. I guess you take the savings, I guess. Bird in hand. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation isn't for limiting litigation, but instead says ICBC should follow a co-op or credit union model like Van City. BC drivers can pick it. They are the ones that own it. And the beauty of this is that it would take politicians out of the mix. A lot of people suggesting major changes in direction. The main problem, none are truly behind the wheel of ICBC. John Hua, Global News. Some critics are also pointing to executive salaries as part of the problem, with seven out of ten executives at ICBC making more than $340,000 a year in total compensation, with the highest paid earning a shade under half a million. And if you're an employee, you're also enjoying some great perks like every other Friday off. When it comes to overtime, it's time and a half for the first hour and then double time for any subsequent hours. And any shift starting between noon and 6 p.m. enjoys a 12% premium. Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with a look at the political fallout from all of this. Mm -hmm. Keith, who is going to be hurt the most by these revelations? Well, you know, this lands on the eve of the B.C. Liberal leadership vote that takes, starts taking place Thursday and Saturday. So who does it impact? Mike DeYoung was the finance minister at the center of this whole thing when this dumpster fire was first lit and allowed to continue to smolder. Uh, so it would be interesting whether Liberal Party members uh, have second thoughts about his candidacy. Todd Stone, another candidate, was the transportation minister. He claims ignorance about a lot of the things that were part of the ICBC uh, situation and points his finger at Mike DeYoung. But down the road, once we get past the Liberal vote, uh, David Eby and the NDP will discover what other governments have discovered in the past. Every time you raise insurance rates, which are inevitable, uh, you're going to be unpopular. And Eby today said he will undoubtedly have to enact some unpopular measures. So no matter what you do to fix the system, you're going to help some people, but you're going to hurt others. And he's going to find that out. He said it would be painful. We'll see what happens. Uh, thanks very much, Keith Baldry and Victoria. Okay. And turning back to our top story, the dangerous conditions due to days of heavy rain on the south coast. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is here with a look at the risk and the rainfall totals. Christy? 
So if the North Shore Mountains saw an incredible 100 millimeters of rain in just 36 hours, that alone can cause rivers and streams to run high. But this storm also came with a skyrocketing freezing level thanks to the Pineapple Express. The rain and the added snowmelt caused dangerous conditions. Here's a look. The North, Shore, the North Shore Rescue is advising people to use extreme caution, keep pets on leash. Animals and kids can be swept away very easily in conditions like this. And the advisory extends all the way through the Alouette Parks area also. But the North Shore wasn't the only area hit. Here's a look at some of the other numbers. Tofino, 253 millimeters. East coast of Vancouver Island, 110. And the Howe Sound region, 177 millimeters of rain. So... Stuff. Incredible stuff. Thank you, Christy. Well, the heavy rain on Vancouver Island, as Christy just showed you, led to numerous road closures and multiple emergencies for Nanaimo Search and Rescue. One driver had to be pulled to safety when the road literally dropped out from under her car in a washout. Kylie Stanton reports. Small creeks have become rushing rivers. Some roads are now lakes. This one just a gaping hole after giving way under the pressure of heavy rainfall, sweeping away a woman and her car along with it. It was the worst thing I've seen for sure. You know, um, as for a scene, you know, you're trying to get down and go over the edge, but the edge is disappearing every minute. Nick Rivers was first on scene at Rumming Road in Lanceville, rappelling 75 feet down to the vehicle that landed upside down, windows smashed, still being pummeled by rocks and water. She was amazingly okay. And I uh, was able to get her out of the vehicle and, and harnessed up. We all worked together as a team and pulled something off really quick and, and turned someone's day around really fast. The regional district of Nanaimo has declared an emergency due to the flooding, closing three roads in the Mid-Island. Rumming Road in Lanceville, Martindale Road in Parksville, and Melrose Road in Whiskey Creek. About 150 feet of it's gone. <laughs> Residents come to see the damage for themselves, while crews work to find a solution. Won't be in the next week. It's it's going to be a fairly lengthy project. It's a it's a very big hole to fill. It's the result of a moisture-rich flow of air coming from the Hawaiian Islands. So far, 110 millimeters of rain has fallen along the east coast of Vancouver Island, but there's also the warmth. So we're seeing an incredible amount of snow melt, and all of that is running down through the rivers and streams and adding to the amount of moisture that we're seeing at lower elevations. The system is expected to taper off throughout the day, but relief won't last long. There's another downpour in the forecast later this week. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, we saw it earlier. Heavy rain is causing some big problems in the Sea to Sky Corridor, too. Lots of water on the road makes it very easy to lose control. But as Tanya Beja reports, people who live along the route say there is almost nothing that slows drivers down, even when conditions are terrible. The curves can be hard to navigate on the best of days. Add the rain and the fog, a recipe for trouble on the Sea to Sky Highway. What about driving in this rain? Oh, up on the way up here is a bit scary. It's a battle. If you're not paying attention and not driving accordingly to the road conditions, absolutely it's a risk. But the poor conditions aren't slowing drivers down. In the stretch near Lions Bay, drivers routinely hit speeds above 85 kilometers an hour. Even though the limit is 60, the mayor of Lions Bay says his firefighters spend about two-thirds of their time dealing with collisions. We spend far too much time on the highway and when the accidents happen, they're, they're all quite bad. So, uh, you know, it's very costly in human terms, uh, both for the people affected, 
uh, and for the people who are stuck in one, three, nine-hour closures. Prior to the Olympic upgrades on the Vancouver to Whistler corridor, serious collisions hovered around 94 per year. They've now dropped to 72 per year, but the number of vehicles is up 24%. Roughly 19,000 hit the sea to sky each day. There needs to be better center barricade and uh, more education on driving, really. Police have tried the traditional means, but Lions Bay's mayor has a more unconventional approach. He wants to increase the speed near his community in the hopes drivers will slow down. The Ministry of Transport is actually looking at removing the 60 and, and just going straight from 90 to 70 back to 90 again, with the hopes that people might find that a little more believable and actually do it. But until that gets the green light, he's hoping drivers will follow the rules. Tanya Beja, Global News. Well, despite the looming deadline, one in 10 Vancouver homeowners still haven't filed their empty home tax declaration. The city created the tool to help with the rental housing crisis. Failure to submit a declaration by February 2nd will be treated as an assumption that the home is vacant and taxable at a rate of 1% of the assessed home value. Homeowners will also be subject to a $250 penalty for not declaring on time. There are approximately 25,000 empty or underused homes in Vancouver, according to the last Canada census. And that's uh, obviously unacceptable. When we have uh, great job growth, population growth, we need to see our homes used uh, as residences and not as uh, investment properties or, or commodities. Vancouver is the first city in Canada to have an empty homes tax. Mayor Robertson says the initiative is being watched carefully by other cities around the world to see what effect the tax may have. But first, a Vancouver dog owner is in shock tonight after losing his pet in a horrifying attack along the Coal Harbour seawall. A warning, some of the video in this story is disturbing. The man's dog was attacked by another dog despite his best efforts to save it. All of it caught on surveillance video. As Jennifer Palmer reports, the owner of the attacking dog simply walked away. A brutal attack that led to the death of Max, a beloved pet happening along the Coal Harbor seawall. Farshid Tabari and his family are devastated. Spratis left from down, depressed. Some of our family members doesn't even talk. The incident was captured on security video. It happened Sunday, January 21st in the noon hour. Both dogs meet up sniffing each other, then something triggers the attack. Tabari lifts his dog, but the other animal pulls Max out of his harness. Tabari says Max was bitten at least twice by the other dog. The 15-pound Sheltie American Eskimo Cross was severely injured. As soon as you put him down, he dropped down and did not move at all. Tabari rushed Max to the vet and says the other owner didn't help, instead walking away. This is the person officials want to talk to. Irresponsible, not putting leash on his dog, especially if your dog is pit bull. Tabari feels if the other dog had been on leash, Max would still be here. He wants off-leash bylaws to be enforced. He has filed reports with the police and animal control. We had uh, approximately 250 calls to 311 last year uh, asking us to investigate, and we investigate every one of those files. Tabari's vet bill is $5,000. Max was 10 years old and was put down this past Saturday, unable to recover from internal injuries. See what you have done. I wouldn't blame your dog, I blame you. Jennifer Palma, Global News. 
The tragic death of a Vancouver nightclub employee early Saturday morning is raising more serious questions about the safety of the city's entertainment district. 23-year-old Colwinderton was killed while trying to break up a fight. Grace Key is live in downtown Vancouver now with reaction, including one city councillor who says that whole area needs an overhaul. Grace. Yeah, we're just outside of the Cabana Lounge, uh, where you can see behind me here a growing memorial for the young man is, who was killed. And certainly one city councillor is saying it's about time the city rethink this area. A growing memorial just outside of Vancouver nightclub pays tribute to the 23-year-old worker who lost his life while trying to break up a fight. It's the latest tragedy on the Granville Entertainment District. City Councillor George Affleck says changes are needed. Reassess this, which is what I asked for in 2013 and was shot down by vision. I was literally told that I could, this was not needed and I thought, you know, I live downtown and I said, we need to fix this street. It's not working. Just before 2.30 Saturday morning, a fight broke out at the Cabana Lounge on Granville near Davie. It spilled out into the street. That's when Calwinder Thin, who works at the club, stepped in to break it up. He was stabbed and later died in hospital. Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson says he plans to meet with the police chief about the violence that persists there, including sexual assault. There's no doubt we, we just need to keep redoubling efforts, uh, whether it's uh, that that scale of violence, which is most troubling, uh, or it's uh, we've seen sexual assaults be a constant problem uh, for uh, for people in the Granville Entertainment District as well. Cabana is part of Bar Watch, a safety initiative focused on reducing violence at clubs. The chair of the program says the Entertainment District is safer than it was a decade ago, and efforts for improvements such as late night transit service are being worked on. It is a safe place to go. We have now got a code of conduct. If you act out like this individual did, or you're a member of a gang or a gang associate, you're not allowed in any bar watch bars. Vancouver police are also appealing to people who have posted video of that night on social media. Detectives would like to have the unedited versions. That could mean things that happen inside the club during the actual incident or after the incident. It may show a direction of travel. It may show a piece of evidence that's very crucial to the investigation. Now, earlier, five people were arrested. They have since been released. No other arrests or charges. Vancouver police calling this an isolated fight that was fueled by alcohol. Sophie? All right, Grace Key reporting on Granville Forest. Grace, thank you. That Canada Revenue Agency's scam shows no sign of slowing down. If anything, it's getting more creative. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, caught up with a recent victim who lost thousands mm. of dollars. And yeah, it's so sad that the scam continues. Thanks, you too. A young woman who lost almost all of her savings is sharing her story tonight to alert the public. Her financial nightmare coming on the heels of a recent RCMP warning about a new and damaging twist to the CRA scam. It left me in shock, just helpless. Just a few of the emotions Sam Dempsey says she experienced after being swindled by a Canada Revenue agent fraudster. The 24-year-old says it all started when she received a call from Kingston, Ontario. It was this automatic, like, automatic voice just saying, acting as if he was like a police from a division of some sort, saying that there was a warrant for my arrest and it was due to taxes. Sam works as a server and says she has someone else file her taxes. When the caller threatened her with jail time and tens of thousands in penalty fees, she began to worry. Every server, anyone who has tips as um, an income, whether you're a hairdresser or whatnot, 
worry that they're not properly claiming their tax. While Sam admits the whole thing seemed extreme, the fraudster had convinced her she owed the tax man. She was instructed to withdraw $5,000 from her bank and take that money to the nearest Bitcoin ATM here at this downtown Vancouver coffee shop. She then transferred the funds. This whole thing just takes you over and you just, you're, I guess, brain, you just feel kind of like brainwashed. So much so, she withdrew money a second time, converting the money again to Bitcoin. In total, Sam lost $8,000 to CRA fraudsters. I worked so hard and to see that, that vision of that money, that 5000 that 3000 just coming out of the machine, knowing I put it I put it into another machine and it was gone. It's just that's traumatizing to me. Her story mirrors another Bitcoin CRA scam recently reported by North Vancouver RCMP, where a resident also lost thousands. There's a terminal here in North Vancouver and uh, he went to that terminal and with a reference code supplied by the fraudsters, he deposited $3,000 into this unknown account. The digital currency gone forever. It's a universal system that is really non-traceable from even from the police. So once that money is sent, it could be anywhere to anybody and you're not getting it back. The RCMP say it's hearing more of these types of Bitcoin CRA scams and is warning the public to be extra vigilant, especially as tax time approaches. As for Sam Dempsey, she hopes by sharing her story, she'll protect others too. And the RCMP is also reminding people the CRA does not phone you, threaten you, or coerce anyone into paying a tax bill. If in doubt, call them yourself. Also report any fraud to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. A chilling turn tonight in the investigation into a suspected serial killer in Toronto. Police laid three more charges of first-degree murder against 66-year-old landscaper Bruce MacArthur after finding human remains in planters at a home he worked on. And they say they expect to find more. 66-year-old Bruce MacArthur, arrested 10 days ago, is now being definitively called the city's most prolific suspected serial killer. Originally charged with two counts of first-degree murder, three new counts were added today, and investigators say there could be more. The city of Toronto has never seen anything like this. The last two victims that we've identified um, don't quite fit the profile of the earlier victims. So, and as I said, we don't know how many more victims there are going to be, but it certainly encompasses more than the gay community. It encompasses the city of Toronto. Police sources tell Global News something found in MacArthur's Thorncliffe Park apartment allowed police to identify these three men, along with the first two victims, Salim Essen and Andrew Kinsman. Forensic investigators also made a startling discovery in giant planters behind this Leaside property where MacArthur did landscaping for the homeowners who were frequently away. To date, the dismembered remains of at least three individuals have been recovered from the backyard of the residents at 53 Mallory Crescent. These remains have not yet been identified. Roughly 30 other properties have also been searched where MacArthur worked as a landscaper. And investigators say more planters have been recovered where more skeletal remains are expected to be found. It's astounding that this has gone on so long, um, unsolved. You know, it just, it's unsettling. In the village where three of the five victims vanished from, police say MacArthur did not fit the profile of a suspected serial killer. This man's friends saw MacArthur at bars. I think that's the... uh, dichotomy of this it's it's so uh, he looks so innocent and just like 
average Joe. You could see him being very friendly and happy with other people to help out. Police would like to hear from anyone they have not already spoken to who may have used Bruce MacArthur for landscaping. Catherine McDonald, Global News. Two Canadian women are facing a year in a Cambodian prison for pictures that were taken at a party in a resort town. The two Canadians and eight others are charged with taking and sharing what police are calling pornographic images. They were arrested last week during a pub crawl that took place near a holy temple. Police have released photos they say show people at the party simulating sex on a dance floor. Canadian officials say they are aware of the situation and are in contact with Cambodian authorities. And caught on video, a bus driver in Puyallup, Washington, rushes in to help a man who is struggling on a train platform and then falls partly onto the tracks. You can hear the horn of the train. The driver pulls him to safety just as the Amtrak train roars through. The driver says he doesn't want any recognition. He just felt compelled to act. In Health Matters tonight, a drug researcher is weighing in about our series of reports on B.C. patients being denied coverage for expensive drugs. As Aaron MacArthur reports, he says the justification by drug companies for sky-high prices doesn't hold up to the facts. I want to go this way. Natalie Essex loves to walk, even if it's really hard. It's something she couldn't do before. Thanks in large part to a drug called Spinraza, she is regaining the use of her muscles she lost as a result of spinal muscular atrophy. It was just, it was awful and just having the huge change in, uh, you know, the regression she was going through to now she's making huge progress, gaining abilities that she'd lost, gaining new abilities that she never had before. Um, you can't put a price on that. It might be a miracle drug, but it comes with an enormous price tag. Spinraza costs about $100,000 a dose. Natalie and SMA patients need one every four months. Okay. Natalie's on a clinical trial, so her family's costs are covered. But the drug is not funded in BC, and if it is, not all SMA patients will be given access to it. If, if they can you know, halt the progression of the disease or get stronger in the process, that's amazing. It's a huge thing. Rare disease medications have been in the news a lot recently, mostly because of their sky-high price tag. And it's not uncommon for new drugs to be well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars per dose. Researchers who study the pharmaceutical industry say drug company pricing has no basis in reality. They will allude to the high cost of drug development, but that actually doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the actual prices they're paying, in part because they never fully disclose what they did spend on research and development. The B.C. government has been demanding pharmaceutical companies justify their prices to little effect. What we need and what they have to understand, because it's in their interest too, is we need a sustainable way. For the Essex family, none of that matters. All they want is access to a drug that has more than proven its worth. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at that forecast, and we're lucky we haven't all floated away yet, Christy. <laughs> well, some people have, actually. That's true. <laughs> Thanks so much, you two. Guess what? We actually have a bit of a break in our forecast on the way. So, yes, sunny breaks. I'll show you when you can expect them, but still snowfall warnings in effect. I'll show you for which areas. Some areas could see up to 30 centimeters still. And, yes, the rain returns. I'll show you when in a second here. All right, so starting off with the situation right now, all of the rainfall 
rainfall really has eased off across the south coast, but the heavier rain, I should say. But we are still going to see showers on and off through tonight and tomorrow. The good news is we'll see those breaks of sunshine in between. You can see some nice breaks off in the distance here, but still waves of moisture onshore. So we're not totally in the clear, but uh, some good news. And snowfall for inland regions. I'll show you how much. Those of you across the north coast could be rather stormy. You can see a couple of lightning strikes. So that instability is going to shift down towards the south coast. So those breaks uh, may come with a few lightning storms in between through the next 24 hours. Hardest hit area tonight will be the Coquihalla uh, Summit, 30 centimeters through the day tomorrow. And then across the the eastern sections, 10 to 20 centimeters, 10 at lower elevations, 20 centimeters possible for higher elevations. So that's Rogers Pass and Kootenai Pass. And we're also expecting snow across the north. So inland sections, a good 10 to 20 centimeters for areas like Terrace, along with a risk of uh, freezing rain. That should change over to rain later on in the day. Nice breaks of sunshine for areas from Smithers in through the central interior and some breaks across the south. Finally, the bulk of this snowfall really overnight tonight, but still the mountain passes will continue with snowfall through much of the day tomorrow, but it will be more so on and off. Revelstoke, you'll see a good amount of snow, though, uh, tonight and tomorrow morning. Meanwhile, the south coast, the rain heaviest, finally easing off, but we'll see waves of showers along with a risk of an isolated thunderstorm. As we head into Wednesday, late Wednesday, the rain returns and it continues right through into the weekend. Happy birthday to Effie Nyberg. She's celebrating 100 years and this photo from Oyama in the interior. Beautiful shot of the winter that they've been having and uh, this was taken just yesterday. Temperatures warmed up today but it has been a winter wonderland. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Thanks Christy. All right, this is already a shoe-in for Plays of the Year. Squire, take note. It's from a high school basketball game on Friday. Less than three seconds left. Missed free throw and a desperation shot from way beyond half court right here. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It happened in Evanston, Illinois. The hero was Blake Peters. He gave his team a 45 to 44 win with that epic buzzer beater. Now, a footnote to this, at tonight's Evanston City Council meeting, the mayor proclaimed this Blake Peters Day and even gave him a chance to recreate his miraculous shot. Although, if you look at the left side of the picture, it doesn't look like he made it. A little off, (laughs) but man, what a moment for him. Almost. A rare get-together for two world record holders in Egypt. As part of a campaign aimed at reviving Egypt's struggling tourism industry, the world's tallest man and the world's shortest woman visited the Giza pyramids. 35-year-old Sultan Kozin is 8 feet 3 inches tall, while 24-year-old Gioti Amji is just over two feet tall. This follows a string of visits by celebrities. Egypt's tourism sector was hit hard by the uprising that toppled autocrat Hosni Mubarak in 2011. They're trying to drum up some more tourism business in Egypt. Interesting way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I first saw that, I thought she was just a... I know, a little blurb. Yeah, she looks like a child, yeah. She does. Mm-hmm. He should put her on his shoulders. I'm sure that happens. And she would see point. better mm-hmm. the pyramids. It would be very nice. That's to true. Returning now to breaking news, the search for that missing kayaker on the Capilano River. That search has now turned into a recovery mission, and our Catherine Urquhart joins us with some breaking details. Uh, A tragic update, obviously, Catherine. 
That's right, Chris. As you mentioned, it is now a recovery effort. We've been told that the person's body has been located. However, it is just too dangerous right now to do a recovery. Instead, that will be done at first light. This, of course, a tragic reminder of how dangerous it is to be near swollen rivers. People well advised to keep back. Again, this search for a missing kayaker on the Capilano River, now a recovery effort. Chris, Sophie, back to you. All right, Catherine, thanks very much. More details if we can get them tonight on the news at 11. All right, Squire are here with us now, and we're discussing what Brock Besser looks like. Okay, well, we'll get to that in this okay. little story. Uh, you, uh, for fans of Shrek, that's the tip-off, mm. Shrek. Uh, we know what Brock Besser can do. Now the whole NHL knows it as well. There are people back east who can't stay up late enough to watch players on the West Coast, and when it comes to voting at trophy time, they kind of forget about those guys sometimes. But they saw what Brock could do this weekend at the All-Star Game and the All-Star Skill, All Skills Competition. Um, it's a show that people won't forget that Besser put on. Here's Vancouver's Brock Besser. On Saturday, Brock Besser won the Shooting Accuracy Competition. He even broke one of the targets. And he got congratulations from Sidney Crosby right after he did it. But winning that competition doesn't mean he gets to be king of the Canucks dressing room when he gets back tomorrow. Danny won it a few years back, so it can't be that tough. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's impressive. I mean, I think for, yes, as a young guy too, I mean, this is really his first year and you, you, you're there with like elite players and, and they've been elite players for a long time. And I, I know from, from being there a few times that even though I, I, I played a, a eight, nine years when I got there the first time, it's, it's, still, it's still a little nerve-wracking. Right, it looked like he had a lot of fun. Um, obviously, a dicing on the cake, wearing the accuracy shooting, and uh, you know, just proves how good of a shot he is and how accurate he is. And of course, he won the MVP of the All-Star game itself, which is extremely impressive. No rookie has been the All-Star MVP since Mario Lemieux. But what might stick the most to Brock Besser from this weekend is his new nickname, Besser Prince Charming. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I kind of heard it a, a little bit you know, through social media and saw a couple pictures, and he, he does look exactly like him. So I decided to poke a little fun at him and add to uh, uh, put a little more uh, gas in the fire. Yeah, I was going to say, is that fire going to keep on burning when he gets back tomorrow? For sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's not going to stop, that's for sure. The hospital in Durham. And... Besser, Prince Charming, Shrek. Look it up. Look it up. At home. You'll know. We've done it. It's, it's true. Yeah, it's uncanny. It, it is uncanny. They're, they're, really, they're, they're like the Sedin twins. They look exactly like. <laughs> As we mentioned last week, Thomas Vanek has been good, but he has to go. He only has a one-year deal. Trading deadline is coming up. And the, can the Canucks cannot afford to be giving away too many contracts to 30-something players, especially with the Sedins likely coming back next year. But if the Canucks were not in a rebuilding mode, if they were a contender, things would be different. If that was the case, they would probably want to keep Thomas Vanek. Troy Snitcher off the face off. Here's Vanek with a shot. Scores! Of all the free agents the Canucks brought in, Thomas Vanek has paid the biggest dividends. His 14 goals and 35 points, second most on the Canucks, all for the discount price of a $2 million one-year contract minus the no-trade clause. So seeing how the Canucks bought low, you possibly sell high come trade deadline. You know, I've, I've been traded before with, to Montreal where it was great. You know, we made a great run to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then I've been traded before where... 
I was wondering why, why did they bring me in, you know? So it's, it's, it's tough, you know? Like you said, I think you can stay here and then finish it out and uh, hopefully you make a run and then keep pushing or you go somewhere and have a chance to win as well. Changing area codes come trade deadline is nothing new for Thomas Vanek. He's been moved three times the last four years. A year ago, he also put up good numbers while playing in Detroit on another one-year contract, tallying 15 goals from the Red Wings pre-deadline. But post-deadline in Panthers colors, he managed just two. So you have to wonder if NHL general managers are leery of that happening again, which may diminish his trade stock and lower the value of what the Canucks could get in return. Yeah, Thomas has been great for us. Uh, he's, you know, I talked about it the other day with him. You know, he's, he's a good hockey mind. He understands the game. He's been through a lot of things in his career. And uh, you know, he's been good for our group. I'm in the same spot as I was last year. Now, last year I was in Detroit. Uh, again, I really enjoyed my time there. And uh, just like I'm doing here, I've, I've really enjoyed you know, being a Canuck and then being on this team and then the city, the fans and all of it. So it's been a great fit, I think, for both sides. It has been a good fit, and that's maybe why this isn't quite such a slam dunk of moving him come trade deadline. Only Brock Besser has more power play points. So it's going to be interesting to see what management decides to do leading up to deadline day come February 26th. Jay Janimer, Global Sports. Well, they didn't fin off, finish off the playoff yesterday at the Farmers Insurance Open. So they did uh, another hole today. Jason Day against uh, Alex Norton, and this time Jason Day prevails. Great approach shot here on the sixth playoff hole, technically the first one today. Uh, knocked this close. Norton actually went in the drink on his approach shot, so this was pretty much a formality. Jason Day's first win since 2016, his 11th PGA victory of his career. Uh, up in Penticton, the Scotties going on, and Kessa Van Osh, the BC rep from Nanaimo, her rink was a winner at the 2 p.m. draw, 10-4 over Quebec, so BC's record is now 2-2. Two and two. Okay, so apparently we might be able to get the shot of Prince Charming so you can see exactly what he looks like at the end of the show, so stay with me. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Well, as she mentioned, uh, singer-songwriter Alessia Cara was the first ever Canadian to win Best New Artist at last night's Grammy Awards. But she was also the only woman to win one of the major awards, and that's launched another new controversy. White roses on the red carpet symbolize Grammy's support for the Me Too movement. But the results on stage struck a sour note. Sparking another hashtag, Grammys So Male. Only one woman won a major award. And the Grammy goes to... Alessia Carr. According to the University of Southern California, of the nearly 900 people nominated for Grammys between 2013 and 18, only 9% were women. Going back even further, Glamour magazine found since 1959, women made up 21% of the nominees and 23% of the winners in gender-neutral categories. The male Grammy president after the show said the change must come from women. I think it has to begin with, with women to step up because I think they would be welcome. During the awards, a powerful show of solidarity. Kesha, backed up by Cindy Lauper, Camila Cabello and other female stars, singing praise. Kesha's first single since her legal battle with a male producer, she says, raped her. 
she and the three other female nominees lost to Ed Sheeran for best pop solo performance. His song, The Shape of You. Harmony for men and women, still elusive in music. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. It's quite the powerful performance for sure. It was, yeah. All right. All right, last word uh, maybe on weather before we go. Tons of rain out there, but it was nice to see the sun for a little break this afternoon, too. Yes, and some uh, some rainbows reported at the end of the day, a mixture of curse of sunshine and the rain. Uh, tomorrow you may see some rainbows as well. We'll see waves of rain on and off, but still some nice breaks in between. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lightning strike here and there, but a whole lot better than what you saw today. And yeah. as we say goodnight...